Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in artificial intelligence and voice first to show everyone how these technologies are going to impact our lives, both personally and within organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI, helping give brands a voice to the power of AI and voice assistant technology. This week on the Artificial Podcast, I am excited to welcome Susan Westwater. If you have been following the podcast for some time, you may have noticed I've had another Westwater here who is actually my first guest, and I'm sure Susan and I will talk a bit more about that relationship, but I am really excited to have Susan Westwater on the show this week because she is just one of the people that I know who really, really know a lot about content when it comes to the voice first space. But a bit about Susan, she is the co-founder of Pragmatic Digital, an experienced consultancy who helps clients navigate the modern digital landscape to develop solutions that are relevant to clients, customers, and business. Susan uses customer-centric approaches and content strategy skill sets to achieve business growth. And that same approach fuels Pragmatic's mission to develop voice experiences that are useful and usable. With a career that includes agency and client-side experience, Susan has managed global, national, and regional brand launches and content initiatives across a range of industries. And she is also a leadership member of Women in Voice. Susan, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Absolutely. And, and kind of like I said in your intro, you know, I, I mentioned that I had Scott on here. Um, I think he was the first guest that had on the Artificial Podcast. And given that your last names are both Westwater, want to want to explain that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we're one of those dynamic duos, husband and wife teams that uh, somehow lucked into this fact that not only do we have um, complementary personalities that work on a personal level, all of our skill sets actually are complementary as well. So from a business level, it made sense for us to go out on our own together and make a, make a partnership that isn't just uh, um, by marriage, but also by professionalism. That was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And I think that's fantastic. I love that you know, I, I got to know Scott about seven, eight months ago, and, and he and I formed a pretty good friendship. And then I know since you kind of jumped into pragmatic uh, full time here over the past couple of months, I've gotten to know you more too. And we've gotten to work on an article together and everything. So no, I, I think it's awesome that you both just teamed up with your complimentary experience to, to create your, your company. Yeah, um, it definitely was one of those things where um, we both had so much agency experience and we would experience similar frustrations. Um, it's difficult when you are not necessarily in charge of the bottom line of the decisions that business decisions that get made. And so we got to a point where, um, because of my past mm -hmm. having account management and business experience to say, you know what, let's just do it ourselves. And that way then we can make those business decisions and we can make those calls about working with the clients we want to work with, um, and having the ownership that we've always wanted to have. 
So it just made sense that the, the way that fate lines you up and pushes you out there, um, that Pragmatic was born. No, that's fantastic. And I, I'm sure you can agree because, you know, there's probably also nothing like getting up in the morning and working for yourself versus somebody else. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's a completely different set of, of anxiety. I'm not going to lie at times. Um, there's, you know, different decisions that you make. But yes, it is a different feeling of um, not having to ask for permission at times to, hey, I want to leave a little early today. Oh, wait, no, I can um, I've checked with myself. I've got my work done. Um, but there's also an empowerment of just being mm -hmm. able to, to come to the table and say, you know what, we can make that happen for you. And I think right. that's what I enjoy the most when I'm working with, with a, a client or, or a prospect and they say, well, do you have to run that past someone? It's like, no, we're, we're, we're a team. It's set. Yep. We're good. Let's do it. And so it's nice to be able to make those calls and decisions and not always have to go through too much bureaucracy. No, and I, I completely agree with you there. And, you know, even kind of where the stage I'm at, where I'm, I'm still working full time and, and trying to build Red Fox AI as well. It's, it's definitely a, a liberating feeling when there's moments where I know that the work that I'm doing with Red Fox AI is all my own. And it's everything that, that I've created with my, my team and friends that I have working with me now. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And, and I applaud you and Scott for taking the leap because it's, it definitely is a learning experience that you do not get anywhere else for sure. But to kind of kick things off here, and this is a question I ask every, every guest I have on the Artificial Podcast. So what led you to get started in you know, the voice space? I, I find that a lot of people kind of have that light bulb moment. I know I did where there's just one thing that's like, okay, this is what I need to do, or I, I understand why this is going to get big. So what, what was that experience for you? What led you to get involved in the space? So I would love to say that I was like Scott, and I, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk and the heavens opened and there were angels singing, but that's not, <laughs> that's kind of not how it rolled for me. I'm actually, I was that skeptical tire kicker and he's telling me about this guy named Gary V who says this and I'm like, yeah, and let me guess, he's got a book to sell or, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit more jaded sometimes. And um, I went to actually what is now called the IA conference, but was IA summit. And there was a whole, um, the whole program that was focused on um, voice and also um, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. And it was talking more about the ethics, which I think is a, an nice. incredible topic. Yes. Um, the beauty of that particular community is, well, after having the web around for as long as these teams have and understanding that what initially was like, did you know if you do this, people do that? Understanding that that becomes a dark pattern necessarily. Mm -hmm. It isn't necessarily good that we know that there's buttons you can push. Um, and so it was understanding that and then saying, okay, what are the, what are the intended and unintended consequences of all of these things? And so it, that particular conference, it was very much a discussion about we're opening the box, you know, um, what, what is going to be about that. And then I also saw a professor who was doing a lot of work with the university of Washington in elder care. And, um, yes, and in elder care and senior community. So it was, you know, when we talk about elders, we are talking about those right. older folks, 90 plus, but then even in the, um, the older adult community as well. And as boomers now are taking care of their parents, as longevity happens, all of these different interesting ways that that little uh, smart speaker would be able to connect them to their family members and maybe lessen mm -hmm. the burden a little, but at the same time, not isolate that family member. Um, and so it it was a very interesting and exciting time to understand of here's a, here's a lot of good ways we can use this. So that was exciting. And then we did then went on and said, all right, this, there's something to this. There's a power to this. 
um, as a content strategist and understanding the importance of storytelling. Um, one other thing that my bio doesn't include is I'm actually two classes short of getting my medievalist certificate. What? Wait, um, wait, what? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is awesome. So, yes. So in um, college, I actually, we had the medieval club and you could get your medievalist certificate. Um, awesome. I didn't get it because I, I, with a double major and a fine art minor, I just, it was one of those moments where it was kind of looking at your parents, looking at your student loan debt and your scholarship and then saying, yeah. we're not going to pay for any more credit. So it was definitely, um, had to fall to the wayside. Um, that and, and my ability to speak French. But um, with that, in that particular history and all of that, so when you think about old times and how stories were so important and how it was the town crier and how it was word of mouth and how revolutionary it was when um, movable type came through. Mm. But understanding that we can go back to that and then making an accessibility to a completely, you know, populations is kind of just amazing. It's also interesting to see that everything old is new again, um, of, of, of what the power of this could be. Um, so I was really excited to see that. And so then we did go to VoiceCon and I had that jaded hat on again saying, all right, I've seen with the <laughs> incredibly ethical folks who are, you know, before yeah. they make certain moves, they really through like every lens. And then I'm going to go deal with entrepreneurs in a business community that I assume is not going to take that many steps. I was, surprised and happy to find out they did. They were thinking a little bit about that. Um, and then we also got to see um, Ann Rosenberg speak, who um, works with SAP. She helps with the Leonardo uh, Center. And we actually then got to do a tour and got to see some really incredible uh, confidence, but also knowledge base that was coming from so yeah. many women within Very that cool. community. So that was super exciting to see as well. So that was then what sent me down that path. And then we went to Voice Summit and, you know, we kind of called our summer of voice of just learning as much as we could um reading you know i read kathy pearl's book um and then continued to read on more books and content strategy about content modeling because it makes so much sense the way that right. certain things are structured to start looking at that um for me it's exciting because it's a whole new channel um so there's mm -hmm. a whole new challenge that comes with uh, with the whole conversation of how am i expanding this brand experience and how am i going to make sure it rings true and isn't just like a shiny disco ball lug on that is actually something that feels <laughs> genuine has purpose aside from oh look we had extra budget and we get to do stuff um so i was kind of excited to see all of the different ways that you can apply i think useful and usable is an exciting concept um and i hope that we can move things there pretty quickly not to say that um concepts for mistakes are a bad thing, but I think there's just a whole world of ways that you can add value um, and make things easier for your customer. Um, and it isn't, isn't per se that shiny concept, mm -hmm. um, going for a gold lion type of con concept. I will definitely say, Susan, you have probably one of the most fascinating intro stories to getting involved in this out of anybody I've talked to. <laughs> That's exciting, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's it's just because of, of the variety of different things that happen to get you involved versus a lot of the 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 guests that I've had on in the past. You know, it's just kind of like one definitive thing. Where is for you, it just seems like it was a process and all of these different micro experiences that just kind of pushed you into you know from you know the whole geriatric side of things and seeing that. Which you know, as those of us in the space know, this is one of the key places where voice can really make a difference. And then 
um, onto some of those other supplementary experiences. And then just even learning about how the fact that you almost have a medieval certificate played into this whole thing is just mind blowing. So no, that that's absolutely incredible. And actually now learning that about you makes a lot more sense given some of the things that you and I have talked about in the past. And then some of the things that you post in the voice first Slack group too. So that that's fantastic. So I guess, you know, what do you, how do you think content for voice is going to evolve as we move through the next few years? You know, do you foresee any particular use cases or in some of the work that you've done, what do you, well, how do you think that that's going to change as the technology evolves and as our knowledge of just how to create content for this evolves and grows as well? I think we're going to get more mindful. Um, I think about um, the ways that right now um, some of the voice interactions are coming to play and the content that gets put in there, there's a lot we can do with content right now um, that maybe features like down the road, there's an, a bunch of exciting features, but there's a lot we still need to learn about getting the content experiences right on that we can do. I mean, it's everything from thinking about word choice, thinking about how to talk in a truly customer centric way um, and there's even a whole discussion happening on on the digital side of maybe the non-voice world of what does conversational content really mean and someone you know there's been the no it doesn't mean you put a question mark at the end of every sentence it doesn't mean um, mm -hmm. you start to actually build a dialogue and you think about those, those personalities um, I think right now and I joke about this is we're kind of the GeoCities phase, if you think about the website evolution. <laughs> yeah, GeoCities, yes. Yeah, I mean, people have their templates and, and there are some platforms out there and they're very simple and they're, it's good because we do need to learn and it's basic mm -hmm. and we're gonna keep building it. I mean, if you'd have told me in the late 90s when I first started working on websites that eventually I would be looking at them on my phone, that I would have looked and said, sure, whatever, sci-fi person. Um, and yet that's where we live. So um, we've learned to kind of, Think about things from that perspective of where is this scaling, where is the evolution, and how fast and far is this going to go? Because I do feel like things are moving rapidly. Um, so I think that we're going to have to be a little more mindful and not just throw up that content. We're going to have to really think about it. Um, I think a great example of how that works from an audio perspective is if you have seen how some audio branding has been, when the, when the time has been taken to invest in a proper exploration. Yes. Um, as yep. opposed to just saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to come up with a mnemonic and we're going to make our, uh, a sound icon for our, our logo. And when you see the differences about those who truly understand, like I think the best uh, description I've heard is uh, sound can make you move, which <laughs> a lot of other things can't. Yeah, um, it's And true. it can evoke emotions from you. So mm -hmm. when you think about something from a mnemonic perspective, that's a memory we're not looking at memories. We're looking at crafting things that are going to get people to take action, to move, to right. stir an emotion in them. Um, and that's something we haven't been able to do. You can do it, you can do it in writing. Only the, you know, the greatest authors usually can do that. We have an opportunity to do that because we can put the emotion in what it is we're saying. Like voice and tone is, you know, I think Scott loves saying this, is it's a real thing now. It's not just a really neat metaphor. Um, so I think I see that as we learn how to do that better, and to make that work and to refine it, I think that'll, that'll work. What on the, the unintended consequence side of that is right now there's the debate about, well, gosh, all these smart speakers are going to Wikipedia. They're going to Yelp. They're not going to where I can control the experience. So I think right. that's where brands and we need to help them. 
help them along and, and figure out how to get the semantic markups right, how to get that foundation down so that we aren't relying on necessarily um, certain crowdsourced things and are able to then put out the right messages. Um, you know, and that also are relevant because I think the biggest thing that I always, you know, we all talk about is if people are asking questions or if people are going through these interactions, how do I know they're getting the right information? Right. So I think that's where we're going to have to start getting smarter about, okay, how do we craft that? And we don't just think about the front, um, the front end of content, but we think about the back where we think about structure. We think about where it's pulling from, um, you know, metadata, all of those good things that help put together the information architecture that then you can put that, that front end experience and hang it from, and it does a lovely job of doing it. You have probably the most fascinating take on content that I've heard. I'm being completely serious when I say that. You must suck up to all your guests. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm serious because nobody has ever talked about the emotion that audio invokes within human beings. And that's, you know, truthfully, I've, I've just very, very minutely thought about this as well, but you really laid it out in a good perspective because when you, when you think about it, what is, what is, what invokes the most emotion in human beings? It's music, it's sound in movies, it's audio, it's, it's people talking to us, it's tone in other people's voices. I mean, it's, it's that type of, I don't even, I don't even know, I think I have a word for it, but audio alone just is able to push people to do so many things because, you know, humans are inherently emotional be beings. We don't necessarily think logically all the time. We think with emotion. So the fact that we now have a medium where the primary form of content is audio is going to be able to push people to do so many different things and in so many different ways, which is why when, when you touched on that point specifically, I, I, my brain just kind of latched on to like that. Wow. That is, that is absolutely fascinating. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the next couple of years as, as brands try and figure out, you know, what is our voice essentially on these platforms is going to be really critical. And, you know, voice search is something that I know I've talked with Scott about that I've talked you with you about. And how do you think from a content perspective, you know, ultimately voice or search in general, but particularly voice searches is going to change or how can a brand really start thinking about their, their strategy for voice search in general? I think the biggest struggle that comes with that is, as I mentioned earlier, is how do you own your answer and how do we learn that? And it's such, we're in such an infancy right now um, of understanding how to, I, I don't like the word control, but how to present the best information. Um, we do have to be mindful that it can be control and that we need to think about that ethically of, from everything from, as you were you know, discussing, how you can dial into certain emotions. We have to be mindful of that as well and understand we're talking about enriching experiences, not getting people to do our, our you know, our beck and call to serve a business. Right. Um, I think when it comes to voice search, all the data, and um, I think as you know from now, Scott and I love to have the data. Um, yep. we, part of our, part of Pragmatic's first um, purchases were subscriptions to research um, programs. So that way then we could continue to get well-funded, well-researched, pieces of information. Um, I'm a big supporter about making sure that the methodologies are right and who they're asking so I understand that. Mm -hmm. um, it is seeing that voice search is, it's, and it makes sense because it's an easier thing to do. Um, folks I know who are incredible technophobes, um, they still love to use voice. Like voice to text is like their favorite thing. I can say it, I can get specific, and I mm -hmm. think that's the piece of it. We are a lot more adjectives when you describe something verbally than when you're writing it down. 
Um, and so I think that that's going to, to be something that we see. Now, the interesting thing to me from a digital content strategy perspective is when Google came out and said, we're going to start looking and indexing um, frequently asked question pages. Those are, yeah. are that's, it's, it's, it, it, it's troubling in the sense of one of the things, if a content strategist is doing their job, an FAQ page is actually not visited very often because you're, you're answering the needs, you're doing everything that you're supposed to within the body of the content, not right. on a frequently asked question page. Versus having um, to go to a completely separate page. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. Like that's where someone goes when they're frustrated with the experience, right? It's the, right. oh my God, you haven't figured it out yet. I'm just going to go here um, or, or site <laughs> search. So it's sort of like, I'm like, that's the graveyard. That's kind of like the, that's, that's like the last resort page. And you guys are going to give that prevalence. Oh no, hold on. We need to rethink that. Um, and uh, I don't know if Scott's ever talked about Jerry McGovern, but he's a very, um, very smart digital strategist who has spoken about how do you know they're frequently asked? Maybe they're seldomly asked. How do you, you know, what goes on that page? Cause it doesn't become that dumping ground. Of, I don't know if this fits, just stick it on the FAQ page. That is where I think we also need to be mindful about, okay, how do we control this and how do we share that? Um, it's hard if the Google says they're doing it. Okay. How do we address that? Right. So I think it's starting to figure out how do we get that connectivity or how do we think about what frequently asked questions are um, in a, an audio world versus the written digital world? And figuring out how to get those to maybe not necessarily be one and the same because they serve different purposes. I mean, I'm excited about voice in that a frequently asked question can genuinely be a frequently asked question. Um, right. And that you're helping someone quickly because mm -hmm. you have 24 seven access. So if you do have a question, um, you can go there. I also like to think of it in the sense of whenever you're going to a website, there's something in your, your mind. There's either a task, there's something you're looking for. And that in the neat thing about voice is that I can just ask that and then boom, I get start getting content and answers. When I go to a website, I have to think, all right, now I want to answer, you know, I want to know X. Do I look on this part of the website? Do I look on that? Even if I'm on the right website, I'm still continually asking myself, am I in the right place on the website? Can, is this really the answer to the question I need? Why do I want this answer over other answers? And so voice kind of cuts through that, but at the same time, it's like, well, whoever's kind of the puppeteer giving me those answers, let's make sure they're right. And so, and I, I don't really, I wish I had a better answer because I hate bringing up like one of my bugaboos is talking about, oh, hey, this is, this is a big deal. And then being like, well, I don't know what we're going to do about it. But I think it's starting to <laughs> figure out like, we're going to have to start thinking through how do we structure our content? How do we get these experiences? I think if we are able to start um, getting the Googles and the other search groups to start looking at these algorithms in a way of holistically, just like how we saw at one point mobile wasn't on the radar and now it's preferred. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of making sure that we're getting our house in order all along while we're doing that. So it isn't just here's a place in a silo. If I'm, I'm thinking about some certain strategies in voice about how I'm presenting things. Take a moment and check back on how I'm doing it in the other channels so that it still makes sense. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a really developed message in one spot and then it's either not going to match up or it's going to be like, oh, wow, that's like the super basic, not so great answer. And we could get more juice if we get it all across. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you because, you know, initially when even I first jumped into this space in January of 2018 and started learning about 
voice search, it, most of what you could just find was, oh, well, voice searches, you just condense an FAQ page, you know, into question and answer based structure, put it on a scale. And, you know, that that's kind of general search. And then, you know, as you know, we've, we've kind of moved through now where we know there's a couple different layers to this where, you know, you have the internal structure of the device, then goes out to the voice web, then goes out to general search. But I, I really think you're onto something when you talk about it. It's, it's looking beyond just the FAQ and what question and answer based structure you can do in, in the greater scope of the content that you're providing. And, you know, we, we say that there's a lot of people in the space, I'm sure you've heard too, say, well, voice is the next website. Well, if so, if voice is the next website, then shouldn't we even, you know, even though it's a different medium of communication, we can still borrow a lot of those content strategy principles. And, and to your point about you go to a website, you know, to easily find information, you wind up on the FAQ page when it's the page of last resort. So I, I completely agree with you that I think this is something that organizations really need to think about as they really try to become more discoverable. And even those of us who have our own companies who are trying to help up, you know, other companies figure this out too. It's how can we develop the content beyond just standard F and Q based structure. So I really like that you touch on that. Where do you think that the software as a service platforms fit into this whole thing? Ultimately, especially looking at them from a content strategy background like you have. I mean, for me, I think that they're brilliant CMSs, um, and I think that that's the challenge we have right now is if, again, back in the 90s, you said to someone, I have a content management system for your website, and I'd say three quarters of the business population said, what's a website? I think <laughs> they're a little ahead of their time. They've got, I mean, it's great we're thinking like this, so let's start structuring it right away. Let's, let's start thinking about how that works. I think in some ways it gives... Um, a tangible approach on how to help a client who has tomes of content because they have, let's say, they have their offline, they have their online, they have their website, they have all of this stuff and social. And they're like, we've created all these things. Now I've got to create audio. And it's like, hold on. There's ways that you can leverage some of this. Um, because if you've done this right, your brand's purpose should not change because I'm talking to you via an Alexa as opposed right. to looking on your website and actually yep. that's a big problem if it does and so I think that's helping people think through just that message part and then I think what's what's fun is when Scott and I start working together he's the one who's kind of as we're working through it saying well there's a better way to even get to it or here's the experience for it so that it's a good message and a good experience um, and that we're following good best practices of I'm not gonna it's not gonna talk for 60 straight seconds while someone starts to fall asleep, but mm -hmm. and instead answers what it needs and doesn't get in the way of the user being able to do what they're going to do. I think that's the thing too, is we have to, um, what's nice is at least these uh, software as a service solutions and these platforms do look at them from a answer this question, this question, this question. If we can start training people who are building these to think about, I'm not building my brand in a single answer. It's the sum of the whole experience. Yep. Um, it's just like when you talk to a person, you don't look at them and have one question and be like, oh, that's how, whether or not I like them or not. And not that we should ever let preferences drive. I mean, what your brand stands for is attributes, not what people like about it that week, because that can change. Um, so when we know one thing we do know about longstanding brands is that they stood for something or they had a consistent messaging that's been on for, for eons. Um, and it was a tried and true purpose as opposed to uh, just being a novelty. 
for a period of time and staying true to that and not kind of buckling necessarily to the preferences of a consumer because over time it's going to what they stand for and then eventually they'll get branded a flip flopper or a, we don't really know what that brand's about so it's important to think about the whole experience um, and how they all add up together to say hey this is this is the emotion I was going for, or this is what I understand what this brand stands for. Um, this is an intelligent idea and, and something along those lines. Yeah, well, well, I guess, you know, kind of pulling all this together and with all this in mind, what do you think the largest hurdle is to, to mainstream adoption, I guess, of voice, both with consumers and brands? And when I say consumers, I mean beyond just people buying smart speakers and using them for basic things. So what, what do you think is, is one of the largest hurdles right now from this fully hitting the market and people embracing the technology with everything we've kind of talked about in mind here? Having, having been through this before, um, one of my favorite jokes or anecdotes I love to share is so back when I was working with a major CPG brand, um, and it was a very well-known particular product, I actually remembered working with them and having, and it was probably in the early 2000s, that I actually had to put together a presentation that may help the senior brand manager understand that the web and the internet were not a fad <laughs> and that they weren't going to go away and that we should definitely start training people to go to the website by putting web addresses on um, packaging. Um, and yeah, I had to actually do that. That's crazy. And, and I mean, you think about it now and you look back and you're like, that guy still had a job. What? But at the time, um, <laughs> You think I think about the responsibilities that he had of if I pull money away, I'm gonna pull money away from TV budget. There's this crazy right. thing called the internet and things that quote unquote work, right? Exactly. And protecting my base. So how do I have to go and sit on, say, um, the board of directors and explain to them why our share is down because I chose not to market as intelligently as you know, I changed my marketing mix and that someone got our share. I mean, there's a host of factors that come into the CPG world. Um, but I understand, and I think that's the, the hurdle right now, is the opportunity is huge. I think it's the, that's always like, oh, yeah, that's great. But then if you ask someone, you know, hey, I need you to change up your marketing mix, and then you'll have to answer for it if it doesn't work. Because we don't, it's, nothing's ever perfect first time. Right. Out. I think that's a hurdle of, like, are you willing to put your job on the line for this? Or are you willing to put your bonus on the line for this? Um, I'm not sure people get fired, but I, I know that for sure – <laughs> There's, you know, promotions and, and other things. Um, yep. That's where then the reality is. And that's where we try to make it at least a no-brainer from, hey, here's all the trend lines. This is a risk, but it's a calculated risk. So I think that's the challenge is presenting it from that way. I think the other side of it is, is um, helping brands understand that, no, this is a new channel. No, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You've done some of this work. Um, and here's how we can leverage it so that, Way, then we can focus on what makes sense for voice as opposed to if you already have a, an established brand experience you're not going to have to reinvent that we're mm. going to have to reimagine how it works in a channel but we don't have to do as much heavy lifting as you think so i think that's sort of getting businesses to understand that um, one of the things i even talk about is um, these days is it's great talking to the voice community i love talking to the voice community i love talking to people like you it's an easy conversation the reality is, though, is that I would say 90% of our clients are not voice community folks. One million um, times, yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, and so that's the thing of where I have to, I always tease myself, I'm like, I have to go to where the people are, you know. Um, yes. 
I have to go to a talking with those folks. And it is then understanding when you talk to them. Um, and I can't remember if it was you or it was someone else who had mentioned, you know, even if you do go to um, uh, like an Amazon workshop or um, an Alexa skill workshop, it starts at a level of understanding this. Folks are like, okay, wait, help me understand an utterance. It's help already me over their head, yes. Yeah, and, and so it's really intimidating. Um, and it's not that we, um, you know, I always say wizards are for Hogwarts. If, if your client or your <laughs> yes. boss doesn't understand what you do, they can't support you, they can't fight for you, and they can say this person's real smart and they can champion you, but they can't do it effectively if they can't, like, no, you don't understand. They understand the structure and they can just tell a, a much more compelling story. So that's kind of where we have to help with that. You know, as you we started, education is key. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to make my client able to design a skill because they don't want to. Um, I actually, I have to admit this is with some of the technical knowledge I had for a client, whenever I didn't want to necessarily deal with the particular senior vice president, I would just start talking about the server load. And I knew that he would end the meeting immediately because he didn't want to talk right. technical. Um, and so um, that was one of those things of like, if I had to wrap up a meeting, I'd be like, oh, now the next part of this meeting, we're going to start talking about the load balancer. And he'd be like, I got to go to another meeting. Yeah, um, exactly. We got to wrap this up. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, I, that's, I mean, people don't necessarily need to know that, but they need to know, have a level of competency and understanding so they can say, no, I get this. I understand the concepts and I'm comfortable with it. So that way then they don't feel hoodwinked. They feel comfortable and they understand how, where it's going and they can be a part of it. So I think that the ownership part is really important. Um, and I think we just have to keep thinking about the experience. Um, and it isn't about, hey, what do I want to tell my user? It's about what does my user want to know? What do they need to know to do what they need to right. do? So um, I think that's another, another way of flipping it. Because right now it's been such an exciting thing of figuring out if we could. And now that we can, we can do it better. And just knowing that. That doesn't mean that what we did before was was wrong. It just means that we had a foundation and now we're going to improve upon it. Everyone always wants to get better. And I think that's where we just have to keep looking. Exactly. And, and I love the point you made about how, and I, I think I, I've been saying this for a while too, and I know I've mentioned this to Scott is, you know, everybody that I've met in the voice community is absolutely fantastic. And I think I've even had some other guests on here agree with me too, that, you know, it, it's all fine and dandy to talk amongst ourselves, but all of us aren't going to be buying our products or our services and we all understand you know more than the average person does what voice means and how AI works and some of these different things whereas the people who are going to be investing in this have absolutely no clue and these are the people that we should be getting the raw feedback from and learning what they're thinking and how they're viewing this technology because they're the ones who are you know are, are ultimately going to be the ones investing in it and you know hopefully you know from the software as a service side using these platforms to develop things and from the content and strategy side figuring out a roadmap and where to go so i i love that you brought that up because i think that's that's absolutely critical in this world of of just needing so much more education with all of this so i'm, I'm really happy you touched on that but as we kind of wrap things up here, and, and this is the question I always leave with all my guests too. So what is one thing that someone can do today, either personally or within their organization to get started with either AI or invoice first? Um, you know, I would think, first of all, I would get, get a device if you don't have one and play with it, get to know it and play with it and think mm -hmm. about that. Um, I, my first book that I read was Kathy Pearl's. 
Um, and it really got me to think about some of those things. There are so many books out there now, um, and I hear about more every day, which makes me super excited. Um, I think it's also getting involved in the voice community um, a lot. It's, it's interesting to me, um, but a lot of the folks live on Twitter. And I think getting nope. on Twitter and just putting <laughs> yourself out there and getting to know each other. I mean, I think that's how we, we, we uh, Scott and I met you. And yep. I think getting into there and understanding it from that perspective, if you want to get a deep understanding, um, that's a, a great place to. Um, I think actually, and if you want to understand some of the most important concepts of experience, I think there are some books like, uh, there's one called Digital Transformation by Jerry McGovern. And yeah, it talks a little bit about websites, but I think you can extrapolate that about the importance mm -hmm. of customer-centric thinking um, and understanding those foundations so that then you can start thinking about when you start playing with your devices, um, oh, I get now why they're structuring it this way or here's the path they're leading me to. Um, I have a lot of fun kind of unpacking that. I also have a tendency to kind of break it, um, experiences, which makes me a jerk, but I kind of the entertainment of asking it like, a help question in the middle of something and being like, well, why are you even asking that? And it's like, well, let's see what happens. Did, did someone go down that path after right. having done so much QA on websites? It's kind of fun to kind of say, all right, well, how far is QA going on, on our experiences now? No, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic advice because it, it's simple and, and you're absolutely right. The first way to get started is to invest in a device and just start learning. And I, I never would have thought, you know, I've kind of been active on, on Twitter for quite some time. LinkedIn is probably my number one, which actually has probably moved number two to Twitter now, just because I feel like I'm on Twitter constantly talking with all the voice folks, but social media, you know, as, as some people like to give it, you know, crap occasionally, it, it, it can be life changing if you want it to be. And, and that's one of the, 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 the least cost to get into because social media is free, right? To actually start learning and talking with other people in the space. And then on top of that, you know, I think, as I kind of mentioned earlier on, we, we have so many resources at our disposal now with the internet and different things to learn about this stuff. And of course, buying a smart speaker, or even, you know, if you have Google assistant on your Android phone, or you download the Alexa app on a smartphone, there are so many different ways to just get started to start thinking about and ask questions. So I think that's excellent advice, but Susan, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. I, like I said, I, I'm still just hanging on to the medieval certificate because that is just so <laughs> cool to me. Like I've never met anybody who almost got a certificate in, in medieval history, medieval studies. That's just, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, it's, it's a liberal arts degree gone wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's amazing. I, I love it. So um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways they can do so? Um, obviously Twitter, um, at SJW 75, um, back when I made my Twitter handle, it was back in the day when we didn't know how smart to write them. So that's why it's my initials. <laughs> <I'm> guilty. <laughs> um, and then, um, Susan at pragmatic.digital, you can email me. Um, and those are probably the best ways or LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easily found in those, those two places. Facebook, I'm a much more elusive creature. So I would say, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, or you can just email me straight up. Awesome. Well, Susan, it's been fantastic having you on the show. And I know you, Scott, and I will be talking soon enough. And I know you're about to head off to Voice Summit in the next week, too. So enjoy. I'm, I'm really excited to hear some of the news coming out of that this year. And you guys are, you guys got a session, right? I know you're going to be on a panel and, and stuff. So yep, Tuesday afternoon, it's the Now What Roadmap. And we're going to talk through some of the ways that you can make things useful, usable, think about the experience um, and use your content. And then um, I'm actually going to be unveiling a, a framework 
that is a, a bit of a combination of some content strategy tools that show how you can use existing content to start to, to fuel the thinking behind uh, your voice experiences. I'm pretty excited about that. And then uh, Wednesday afternoon, I will be on the second panel that is about the phases of uh, voice design. Awesome. Well, I, I'm excited to hear about it. And I know there's gonna be a ton of people there this year. So I'm I really hope it goes well for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone. Last year, we felt like total newbies in this year <laughs> get to present. So we're incredibly excited about that. And uh, just being able to connect with all the people we've met in the past year, I feel like we've grown leaps and bounds. And I can't even imagine to see what it'll be like a year from now. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again for taking the time to, to chat and share your knowledge with everyone. And uh, we'll chat soon. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep. Take care. Sure. Artificial intelligence. Voice recognition. Machine learning. Robot. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host, Nick Myers. Nick Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.